You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Wednesday. Yeah, everything's weird again. Yeah, we were, I was, we were, I was, <laughs> I don't know, I guess I can't speak for you, it was two podcasted out when we normally podcast on Sunday, because mm-hmm. we did two podcasts last Sunday. Yes. We doubled with Kevin on his podcast, The Flopcast, and then we did ours, which was I mean, not, like, super long, but just, like, in general longer because we had three stories yeah. to go through. So we did last Sunday, we did the two, and then Friday we did the uh, extra with Kevin. So it was Listen like, to that um, on the podcast. Yeah. Well, and listen to ours. That came out well, last week. Well, obviously listen to ours. <laughs> and even if you don't listen to ours, rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> It's going to be a night, folks. Uh, All right. So we're on 35. Yeah. This one's going to be coming out right before Christmas. So I guess we'll just get started. That's it. Nothing yes. else to talk about. Not to walk Scout tonight. Cool. Scout I guess could almost walk over Scout to you. Scout could just walk here. Scout. And then that will be her walk. Yeah. Well, and then she walks herself back and mm-hmm. that's it. She holds her leash in her mouth because that's what you have to do if you're walking yourself as a dog. That's the law. That's the fucking mm-hmm. law. Any dog that walks themselves is immediately the best dog in the world. It's true. I love it. Mm-hmm. I also love when dogs walk other dogs. <gasps> yes. Actually, no. <laughs> that's the best dog in the world. And the other one is slightly less best, but not. What um, if they're walking each other? Then they're probably going to. You walk almost into just them. started crying. <laughs> your t- your eyes literally like glazed over. <laughs> if I saw two dogs walking each other while I was driving, we would both do that. That's that. That's the end. <laughs> Things that I wish weren't true, but that's not an exaggeration at all. I'd be like, <gasps> and then I, they'd be like, it's so weird. She cried so much when she died, but it was instantaneous. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Killed by dogs. You know, there's worse ways to go. Mm-hmm. It's fine the because only thing all dogs is, go to heaven. I, the dogs aren't dead. We're dead. Yeah, but I'll see more dogs in heaven. You're not going to heaven. That's fucking true. <laughs> okay. I didn't think this through. <laughs> so say, and more than likely, I will just be dead, and I won't even know why, because I wouldn't have seen the dogs. <laughs> also true. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes there are sacrifices. Excuse me. <laughs> Episode 35? Yeah. I go first. Yes. But first... But first... I'm Brittany Petrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But First, Let's Let's Talk Nerdy. Clonk. Okay, so today, episode 35, I... am Brittany Petrino. I'm Brittany (laughs) Petrino. And I am talking about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yay! In a much stressed out way, me figuring out how to talk about this movie. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) All right. My sources. Mm-hmm. Your brain. Are my brain. Wikipedia. Um, an article by Jennifer M. Wood and Mark Mancini. 
Why We Still Love National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation by Becky Hughes. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, 10 Reasons Why It's Still the Best Holiday Movie by Ben Sherlock. And then, of course, the movie in my brain. Mm -hmm. So, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is an American family comedy film, and it's the third installment in National Lampoon Magazine's Vacation Film Series. There's four in total, I believe. Christmas Vacation was written by John Hughes, who based it off Christmas 59, his short story published in National Lampoon. It premiered on December 1st, 1989, and it stars Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, and Randy Quaid. Side note, I was born October 26th in 1989, and for those of you who don't know, that's the birthday of my birthday. <laughs> but uh, this was the first movie I was ever brought to as a tiny little baby. Oh my god! And my parents told me I just basically watched or slept the whole time. It didn't make any noise. And this is clearly where I like to think my Christmas obsession started. Oh. Why? This is my favorite Christmas movie. So back and forth on this uh, topic just because you can't just summarize a movie like this. Um, most of the movie is humor, and humor is lost when you're just trying to mm-hmm. describe it to someone. Yeah, especially like... This kind of humor. Yeah. yeah. So I decided I'll give a quick plot of the movie for those who haven't seen it, which is a mistake and you really need to. And then I'll give a few fun facts and why it is uh, not only must-watch Christmas every Christmas season, but it's also one of the best. So let's get into it. It starts with a cute opening, all animated, uh, Santa delivering gifts on Christmas Eve night slash Christmas morning. The catchy tune, We're So Glad It's Christmas Vacation, plays in the background. We see that the next stop on Santa's list is the Griswolds, and as a bit of foreshadowing for the movie, everything that could go wrong does for poor Santa in a humor cartoon kind of way, and he barely makes it out, but he does call his reindeer for backup, and they come get him. Fair. The movie then transports us to the live action. It's December 1989. Chicago resident Clark Griswold plans to have a great Christmas with his entire family. He gathers his wife Ellen, older daughter Audrey, and younger son Rusty and drives out to the country to find a tree. After a few mishaps on the drive and walking through the snow for hours, for for one singular hour, which would still be cold, they're (laughs) in fucking Chicago. It's cold in Chicago in December. Clark finds the largest tree he can. It's then that he realizes he did not bring any tools to cut down the tree. So they end up digging it out of the ground somehow and attach it to the car to drive home. Which just wouldn't be possible because the ground is frozen and it's a giant ass tree. But Christmas miracles happen. (laughs) So soon after, both Clark and Ellen's parents arrive to spend Christmas, but they do not get along. They're bickering quickly. It begins to annoy the family. Clark, however, maintains a positive attitude, determined to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. He covers the house and house's entire exterior 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 exterior. I'm star one <laughs> with 25,000 twinkle lights, which fail to work at first as he has accidentally wired them all to the garage light uh, switch. Eventually, they figure out what's going on. 
temporarily causing a citywide power shortage, and then it uh, ends up creating giant chaos for Clark's yuppie neighbors across the street. The true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> they break stuff. They get blinded. They're you oh know. no, that's so sad. <laughs> Their names are Todd and Margot. Oh my god! Actually, I love the name Margot. I love. <laughs> That's what my Margo. Christmas shirt has one of their lines I on saw it. it, and there is there is another one that has the other one that goes with it. And that's one of those I talk about quotes later, but that's one of those quotes that we always quote. <laughs> Why is the carpet wet, Todd? I don't know, Margot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways. Um, <laughs> So they're all standing outside, uh, staring at the lights, and enter Cousin Eddie. Clark is shocked to see Ellen's redneck cousin Catherine and her husband Eddie as they arrive unannounced with their children, Rocky and Ruby Sue, and their Rottweiler dog, Snots, who is named that for a reason. (sighs) I wonder. Um, So Ruby Sue. Yeah. Oh, so apparently she got kicked in the head by a deer, became cross-eyed, oh. then got kicked in the head by a deer again and became uncross-eyed. Uh, as an optician, can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> Your deer would have to, like, really do a good job of its little leggies. <laughs> uh, also, fuck deer. Forever. Yeah, Martha's not a fan. Because they suck. <laughs> So Eddie says that he wanted to surprise Clark and he came up in an RV and they let the owners of the RV use their house while they use the RV. But later Eddie does admit that they're living in the RV when they arrive because he's broke and he's holding out for a management position, which is why he isn't working. White people nonsense. (laughs) Yep. And he's like... Hick hillberry hillbilly like hillberry. <laughs> the like the whitest trash mm-hmm. ever. So um, you have to start somewhere. You can't just start you at just the can't top. be management. You can't start at the you top. You have to be the store clerk first. Mm-hmm. If you start at the top, it's because you own the place. It's true. Money. So Clark ends up offering to buy gifts for Eddie's kids because Ruby Sue at one point was talking about how they didn't get anything for Christmas last year. Ah. So she was starting to be like, Santa sucks. Santa's the worst. She says shit and bricks at one point. And Clark goes, you shouldn't say that word. She goes, oh, sorry, shit and rocks. <laughs> Beautiful. Ugh. So, to add to the craziness of this old-fashioned family Christmas, Clark's senile Aunt Bethany and grumpy Uncle Lewis arrive a few days before Christmas. Shout out to senile Aunt Bethany, listener. <laughs> if you do listen, this is you. He's probably dead. Huh? Oh, the no. actress. I was talking about our senile oh. Aunt Bethany, who is not a senile or an aunt, but... She's probably senile, but she's not an aunt. Know why? Because she's an only child. <laughs> Oh, you're right. You know who's an aunt? This bitch over Me. here. <laughs> so it's now Christmas Eve, and though things have not gone well, they're still hoping for the best. Of course, this is not the case. The perfect-looking <laughs> turkey ends up being a dried-up shell. There's a cat wrapped in a present from Crazy Aunt Bethany. Now there's a dog <laughs> and a cat running around the house. <laughs> things don't go well for the cat. The tree ends up blowing up and lighting on fire. And to add to all the animal fun, a squirrel shows up and adds to the disaster that is the Griswold family Christmas. Hey. Also Even- a wrapped cat. 
A plus. Yep. It was on Bethany. She gets confused and just starts wrapping things up in the house. So at one point, the box starts freaking out and this cat inside being like, That's when it woke up from its nap and it's like, oh, I was in this box to enjoy it, but now things have changed. Yeah, not so great. So even after all this, there's a knock at the door. I think it was a little bit more than that. I'm pretty sure he was knocking so hard when they ripped the door open, they pulled the whole knocker off the door with the wreath. (laughs) Thank you. Martha broke her fingers, but thank you. I got you guys. <laughs> um, Sound effects. He's a company messenger from the company Clark works for who failed to deliver an envelope the day before. Clark instantly doesn't care about all the craziness that's been happening throughout the night. Um, and he even apologizes to everyone for being so testy the last few days because he'd been worrying about not getting his Christmas bonus. That's fair. He informs them that he's going to be putting in the pool and without this bonus, that they didn't have the money in the bank account to replace what he spent on the down payment, though Ellen doesn't look too happy about the information. Everybody else is super excited. Yeah, that sounds fair. As he rips it open before looking at it, he lets everyone know that if there's enough left over, he's flying everyone out to come use the pool. He finally looks at the envelope, and it's not the bonus that he was expecting. It's a free year's membership to Jelly of the Month Club. That's, I mean, that is in corporate America for you. (laughs) So this prompts Clark to snap and go on a tirade about Frank, his boss, and out of anger, he requests that before a last minute Christmas gift to have his boss wrapped in a bow delivered straight to his house so Clark can call him out straight to his face. And he uses a lot of colorful words Mm. and yells about shit. And it's pretty sweet. Who doesn't love A, colorful words, and B, that would be a good time. Yeah. Somebody wrapped a previous boss that I wanted to cuss out <laughs> and then put them under my tree. I mean, I would be like, I don't want to. Yeah. And the, the business uh, Clark works for is legit corporate America. Mm-hmm. Yes. What we think about that. Yep. So crazy, but meaning well, Cousin Eddie takes mm. this request literally and mm. thinks about all the nice things that Clark had done to buying all the gifts for his kids, drives to Frank's mansion, and kidnaps him. He's brought back with a chained up and in a nice big bow for Clark, and he is called out for being a shitty and greedy boss, and Frank admits that he he canceled the Christmas bonuses simply because he wanted to the money, shocking no one. <laughs> Oh my god, you're a boss? (laughs) So, meanwhile, Frank's wife, Helen, calls the police, and the SWAT team ends up storming the Griswold house, literally breaking every single window as they crash through. Merry Christmas. And, yep, and hold everyone at gunpoint. Frank decides not to press charges and explains the situation to his wife, who calls him out for being a greedy dick, saying, of all the ways to save a buck, and even the SWAT leader scolds him for this decision (laughs) to scrap bonuses. For real, though. Frank realizes that he is being a greedy asshole and decides to reinstate them, giving Clark... A bonus that was equal to last year's amount plus 20% as compensation, which Clark faints over. So it must be a large amount, but we never find out how much it's going to be. Mm, must be. <laughs> but I figure it's probably, in 1989, I'm guessing it's probably around like 10 or 20 grand, which is a shit ton. God damn. He worked for like, I, I imagine he already got a good bonus for the company you worked for. So adding 20% sure is probably like a shit ton more. Money, but yeah. it also has kids, so that doesn't, they cancel out. It's true. 
I don't think Alan works. Because in 1989, you could sort of still only have one working parent. (laughs) Yeah. Alright, so family heads outside when Rocky and Ruby Sue believe they see Santa Claus in the distance. Clark tells them that it's actually the Christmas star and that he finally realizes what the holiday means. Uncle Lewis says it, that it's not the Christmas star and that it's the lights coming from the sewage treatment plant, <coughs> reminding Clark that Eddie had been dumping his sewage into the nearby storm drain earlier in the in the movie. Mm. Shitter's full. Mm. <laughs> Before Clark can stop him, Uncle Lewis tosses a match to light a cigar into the drain, triggering an explosion. The explosion sends a Santa sleigh decoration flying into the air, and Aunt Bethany starts singing the Star Spangled Banner. (laughs) Everyone joins in as the flaming decorations fly off into the distance. Sometimes that's what family is. (laughs) And it's like everyone, the whole SWAT team is out there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. The entire family and the SWAT team members then celebrate inside the house while Clark and Ellen happily share a Christmas kiss and Clark stands outside satisfied that he has had the Christmas that he's always wanted. So uh, that's just a super quick summary of the movie and you really need to go see it if you haven't. So let's move on and here's a bunch of fun facts about the movie. So as I mentioned briefly above, Christmas Vacation is based on the short story Christmas 59, written by John Hughes for National Lampoon in December of 1980. Its literary predecessor is paid tribute to when Clark is trapped in the attic and pulls out a box of old home movies, including one labeled Christmas 59. Nice. It was one of the only two Christmas movies released in 1989. Though the holiday season is usually packed with Christmas-themed movies, Christmas Vacation was one of the only two that were released in 1989. It was before fucking Hallmark started just, like, whacking them out. There was some great hand motion for that. (laughs) You can picture it with whacking them out. (laughs) There you go. You're fucking welcome. It's Christmas Miracle. (laughs) The other was John Hancock's Prancer. Right. Oh my God. I don't Prancer. think I've seen that one. It's another one that's like kind of sad, but not in a bad way. It has a, it's about a reindeer. I would assume because it's named Prancer. Um, John Galecki, AKA Rusty Griswold starred in both of them. Busy season. <laughs> I was like, I cannot hear another fucking Christmas carol this year. <laughs> Number three, Audrey is miraculously older than Rusty in this movie. In both the original vacation and European vacation, Rusty is believed to be the older of the two Griswold children. In Christmas vacation, Rusty somehow morphs into Audrey's younger brother. Hey, sometimes that's how it goes. <laughs> Sometimes you turn to your younger brother and you realize that he's got like four inches on you and you're like, did things change? <laughs> and then that, and then he's like fucking married. And it's like, oh, I'm still older, right? That still counts. Even if I'm a disaster. <laughs> The movie had a huge budget, particularly for a comedy. A $27 million budget, to be exact. Exact, yeah. Which is particularly high, considering that the film had no special effects, such as Ghostbusters, which only had a $30 million budget. But it had no trouble making back the budget. The film's final domestic gross was over $71 million. Dang. In 1989? Yeah. Yeah. And Cousin Eddie is actually based on a real guy. 
Uh, so John Hughes's real hillbilly cousin. <laughs> Quaid borrowed many of cousin Eddie's mannerisms from a guy he knew growing up in Texas. Most <laughs> notably, Speaking his of. tendency towards tongue clicking. But Eddie sweater dicky combo that was an idea from Quaid's wife. <laughs> Beautiful. Aunt Bethany is Betty Boop. Christmas Vacation marked the final film of Mae Questel, who began her career as the voice of Betty Boop in 1931. She passed away at the age of 89 in January of 1998. That answered the question that I said earlier, meaning like she's probably dead. Yep, there she is. Okay. Well, now she would be over 100 years old if she was still alive. Better to be dead. Um, I mean, personally, and also correctly. Beverly D'Angelo improvised a risque sight gag for the SWAT team segment. If you take a good look at Griswold clan, after the SWAT leader yells freeze, during all the mayhem, Ellen plants her right hand firmly on Clark's crotch and keeps it there because they are frozen. Except when she shakes hands and then goes back to his crotch. Beautiful. Uh, This is a quote. I did that spur of the moment and told Chevy just to see if anyone on set would notice. (laughs) (laughs) But we did a couple takes and no one mentioned it. Hey. It's like pushing. I'm glad she at least was like, hey, Hey. I'm going to grab your balls. (laughs) So I'm going to do this thing. It's going to be pretty funny. (laughs) LOL, LOL, LOL. LOL. Um, All right, next one. All the presents on Frank Shirley's office desk, including Clark's, look exactly the same. So they're all wrapped differently, but the size and the shape are all identical. And this is something that my dad pointed out many years ago. So now we always see it. Yeah. They're all like, it looks like Like two boxes. So it's like one, it's almost like an L lying down. So it's one like this and then one like this Mm -hmm. with a bow on it. All of them. Yeah. That's a weird shape, too. Yeah. Yep. What did you get? (laughs) To help Chevy Chase nail his crazy tirade when he's talking about his boss, um, his fellow actors actually wore cue cards. (laughs) D'Angelo explained in a 2015 conversation with the Diner Party download, Dinner Party, there's two ends in that. Whatever. The Dinner Party download. The particular scene was blocked in a way that would allow each of us to have uh, around our necks a little piece of rope attached to a big cue card. The rant was divided into sections so that he could go all the way through from the beginning to the end without a chance of forgetting his lines. Nice. If you watch it, you can see him. His eyes go from character to character as he's going on the speech because um, they all have the lines, which I haven't. I didn't know that, so now that's what I'm going to be watching the next time I watch it. Yeah. All right, last one for fun <laughs> facts. Aunt Bethany and Uncle Lewis's entrance actually made the earth move. At the time of the production, filmed the arrival of Uncle Lewis and Aunt Bethany at the Griswold home, a minor earthquake struck. The camera shakes slightly as a result as Bethany walks through the front door, which I also didn't know, so that's another thing I'm going to look for. That's fine. <laughs> I like how they're just like, eh, we'll leave it. We won't yeah, report. Re-report. Whatever. This is too much work. Uh, now that we went over a bunch of fun facts about the movie, let's go into what makes this such an amazing Christmas movie. Number one, it's relatable. Yes. Sorry, that oh, was a one. Just number one. I thought you were like, hold on. <laughs> I have a question about the number one. <laughs> I have one question. Uh, 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 
<laughs> oh my god. We need to be a away from each other. I know, and it's worse now because I'm home more. Yeah. All right. Number one, it's relatable. It's about an average Christmas. A lot of Christmas movies revolve around an encounter with Santa Claus or a journey of some kind of elf or something of the sort, but that's not really the, the Christmas experience. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is a story of a normal, relatable family in suburban America mm -hmm. trying to celebrate the holidays. I was going to say, it's a family disaster, which yes. is Christmas. <laughs> Uh, the Griswolds can be identified as every family across America suffering through another Christmas with visiting in-laws, endless problems with the lights, and delayed bonus checks. Every other Christmas movie that's attempted a similar thing has fallen into the conventions of Hollywood falseness and failed to be relatable. Number two is it has the perfect blend of Hollywood Christmas corniness and cynical wit. It can be easy for Christmas movies to fall into the trappings of Hollywood sappiness. Yes. So filmmakers can also go too far the other way and make a movie that's so cynical and anti-Christmas that it's just no fun. Christmas Vacation has the right balance between Hollywood cliche and cynical wit. The message at the end of the movie is that it's worth putting up with all of it and all of the disasters in pursuit of the perfect Christmas celebrations. It has an unusual but super relatable villain. Ha ha, me. Sort of part two to the first one of it being relatable. <laughs> but if you would label anyone, there's a few different people that could be related as the villains in this movie. <laughs> but the main one would probably be Clark's boss. Yep. Not some crazy monster or some, uh, or even more realistic, the cops or an ex. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has an abominable snowman chasing them around, but everybody has had to deal with a bad or greedy boss. So it not is everybody a, has like a dentist elf that is definitely the villain. Yeah. Just saying. He sucks. Boo. Number four. It's hilarious. <laughs> no matter how many times I watch it, no matter how many times you watch it, you Catherine, laugh. You know. <laughs> the whole movie is full of humor, and as someone who's watched it every year since she was one month old, <laughs> it's always funny. And it's something that is always so quotable, and that I quote all year round, as I've already quoted it multiple times. Mm -hmm. There's something to laugh at every few seconds, but the gags are not all throwaway. Some build slowly over the course of the story to grand playoff, such as Cousin Eddie, who is draining the mobile home septic tank into the sewer, <laughs> ending up in the explosion at the end. Others build within seconds for the simplest actions, like when Clark's climbing the ladder and slides all the way down it, or when he's riding a sled coated with the grease. <laughs> also, funny little fact about that is at the end, he lands in front of a Walmart, and that's before Massachusetts had Walmarts, and my parents were always like, what the hell is Walmart? Oh. <laughs> <Aww>. Yeah. <laughs> Then there are the random quirks, such as drinking from the moose mugs and the violent set pieces treated as pure comedy. An electrocuted cat, a fall from the roof, kidnapping of Clark's boss, and when the SWAT team arrives, it's to the tune, here comes Santa Claus. That's good. Clark's wife, Ellen, sums it up well and by saying, it's Christmas and we're all in misery. Meh. And then chops the lettuce. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And number... Five. The whole family can enjoy it. The problem with a lot of Christmas movies is that they usually skew to either being for kids or for adults. 
Christmas movies uh, should be enjoyable for the whole family. Home Alone does manage this as a kid's movie with a wealthy dose of adult humor. And as the tale of a regular family, Christmas Vacation appeals to all. It's a movie that I grew up watching and always can find the humor in it. I can also always relate to it. Not the same way as I did as a kid, but as I grow... I'm able to, whether I'm a kid, a teenager, or adult, I'm able to hit different characters and relate Mm -hmm. to them in different ways. Aunt Bethany for it? (laughs) Eventually, I'll be Aunt Bethany. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's not like I don't love all the Christmas cartoons that I watch and all those, but obviously those are something I grew up with, so they're nostalgic. I don't, you know, then, but this, there's always a way to relate to it because they have young kids to old there's older adults and then there are old people. <laughs> um, okay. This movie is always the movie that I'll listen number one, and I know it is for a lot of people. There's a reason that after 31 years, it's still easy to find and watch on TV. It screams Christmas, but it's hilarious through the whole thing. So whether you've seen it or not, I suggest that you go watch it right now. I don't think it's... After you rate, review, subscribe. I was going to write that, and then I didn't. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but it's worth the money. I went and bought it on Blu-ray for, like, $8. I'm sure you can rent it for three ninety nine. Yeah, but you, you like wanna. I said, I bought it on Blu-ray for, like, 8 bucks yeah. at Walmart. So, mm-hmm. it's good. So, yeah. So, that's Christmas Vacation. Yay. What is the Soul Forge podcast? Join Sean and his guests as they talk about sex, geekiness, witchcraft, Star Trek, awkward dates, poetry, life, the universe, and everything else. Interviews have included writers, atheists, a rap star from Australia, a reality TV star, and a sex goddess from San Diego. If you have a story to share or just want to listen to one, check out the Soul Forge podcast. The Soul Forge. Let's find out together. So today's episode 35, it's our episode right before Christmas, like you said. So I thought I would bring it way the fuck back. And we are talking about Christmas in Connecticut today. I still haven't seen this one. Yeah. It's it's so good. We'll have to watch it at some point. But now you'll know the plot. (laughs) (laughs) That won't be a surprise. Hey, I mean, it's literally you watch like 40 seconds and you're like, I know exactly how this is all going to go. But it's very enjoyable anyways. So, come on, um, My sources were the movie, obviously, and then Wikipedia, and um, an article by Blonde at the Film that is literally just called Christmas in Connecticut. Cool. Yeah. So, I figured, since we've been watching literally piles of shitty rom-coms, that I would go back to the OG Christmas <laughs> rom-com. Hijinks, misunderstandings, Christmas traditions, and you also get to fall in love along the way. Bam, we got it. It's cute. It's fun. And the heroine is great, like, in a way that most modern heroines are absolutely fucking not. Nightmares. Yeah. Oh, 
God, Christmas movies are so bad. Oh, why are they all the fucking <laughs> worst? But yeah, so, um, and the heroine in this one is uh, Barbara Stanwyck, who is um, well known for a, a lot of noir films. I don't know any of them, but she has that kind of a vibe and that will just at least put you in the right spot. So Christmas in Connecticut is a movie from 1945 starring Barbara Stanwyck and Dennis Morgan and Sydney Greenstreet and a bunch of other people that I could tell you their names and neither of us would do anything with them. So there we are. You can um, call me modern people's names, and I'm still like... Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you every person that's ever been related to Magneto, but can I tell you every person that's been related to me? Probably not. You know who I can tell you about? Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey. Shout out. Mm-hmm. Shout out, listener Chris Evans. <laughs> if only I would die. <laughs> yeah. I, that would be the death of me. Actually. The actual death of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your note just says Chris Evans. That's it. <laughs> like, well, I should have expected this, I guess. <laughs> uh, Martha and I were watching Not Another Teen Movie the other day. On its convenient 19-year birthday. Hey. It's so good. It's, it's so stupid. It's so, like, it's perfect so for exactly, like... Our generation. I was going to say, literally, us going through high school. Yeah. Oh, so Ew. dumb. It's so good. If you haven't seen it, it's on Hulu. Hulu right now for free. I definitely <sighs> don't remember. So fucking dumb, and this is Chris Evans has freckles still in it. Yeah, he's oh. that much of a baby. That sometimes it's one of those so- uh, those movies that sometimes I get the stupid shitty songs in it stuck in my head, <laughs> and I'm unhappy about it. Here we are. <laughs> that prom tonight song gets stuck in my head, literally like frequently. It's not good. I'm very mad about it. I have no money, so I gotta make my own choice. <laughs> Yeah, so this is an actually good movie <laughs> with like award-winning people that like you know who just got off of awards, not like I was to say. I think some of them might have won awards since have then. But to that, this is a different story. But that's just fucking fine. So I figured I'd just give everybody a rundown of the plot, and because then... I actually don't know what's going on. Exactly, it's a movie from 1945, and it's not like one of the really, really. It's not like it's a Wonderful Life or a White Christmas. So it's not one of the ones that comes out for a lot of people. I actually have not ever seen A Wonderful Life either, and I didn't see A White Christmas until you. We didn't watch, like, those kind of classics Mm -hmm. in my house. That is very much my house. Yeah. No, we watched a bunch of the cartoons. We watched those, too. And then, like, obviously Christmas Vacation, Mm -hmm. The Santa Claus, like, those were the ones that, like, we watched. Yeah, I think we were... The classics of, like, literally the 90s. I was going to say, literally, you watched your classics, yeah. and I watched my parents' classics. Yes. <laughs> so, Christmas in Connecticut actually opens up, uh, and it's World War II, and there is a submarine attacking a ship, and then after the submarine attacks the ship, two sailors survive in a raft and drift around for 18 days, which you don't watch 18 days. <laughs> Thank think, fucking fuck. God. Yeah. 
um, oh, before they're like, rescued. Like, I don't want to watch this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that would be immediately I would be out. So they're rescued. They're brought to a military hospital to recover. But Jefferson Jones, who goes by Jeff, thank God, because I don't want to say Jefferson 300,000 times, is bummed out because he's like, oh, I can't eat any real food. And it's like, yes, bro, you were just starving in the ocean and probably dehydrated as fuck. No, you can't eat any real food and you can calm down about it and it's fine. Chill for a goddamn minute. Uh, and he, of course, makes things way worse by reading Elizabeth Lane's column in Smart Housekeeping, which was a magazine. Might still be a magazine. Who fucking knows? <laughs> um, and then dreaming about all of the fancy meals. There's, like, all food and, like, all of the little recipes. I mean, we all fucking dream about fancy I, meals. We're not having those meals either, buddy. Mm-hmm. Literally, my next... My next words are a goddamn mood. (laughs) Yeah, so she's billed as America's best cook, and she's the perfect mother and housewife on an idyllic farm in Connecticut. Like old-timey Martha Stewart. Yeah, exactly. There's some weird roundabout way that he gets in his idea to have an Elizabeth Lane Christmas, which is honestly more confusing than worth explaining, so I'll do a little tiny bit of it, and then we'll just avoid it. But basically, his nurse likes him and flirts with him, and he flirts with her to get better food, and then somehow she knows somebody who publishes the magazine and I don't know. Basically she wants to get with him and in trying to do that she's like, oh we'll have an actual Elizabeth Lane thing and I'll call the publisher because I know him. It's very, very loosely put together for a it's, it's as, a Christmas movie. I was gonna say it's as loose as any of the other Christmas movies that we've watched. <laughs> Where it's like for some and so somehow him going to Elizabeth Lane's house and having like a special Connecticut Christmas is going to make him marry the nurse. Mm-hmm. Also, she's not gonna have this random person in her house. No. No. But it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Cut smash to our issue here. Um, the Elizabeth Lane that he's been reading about doesn't super exist. Shocking no one, actually. Does exist. She is real. But she's just a bomb-ass writer. I was going to say, yeah, she doesn't do any of that shit. Yeah. So the first scene we see of her, uh, Barbara Stanwyck, looking like an absolute boss, and all of her um, her costumes are done in this by Edith Head, so they're all fucking exquisite. It's so good. Old-timey costumes are my absolute fucking jam. They're so nice. Yeah, beautiful. They're all so cute. Like, this is very rude. One day we'll do every outfit in White Christmas. Yes. <laughs> that little, like, teeny, I don't have the waist to do literally no, any of those. No, but it's fine. Yeah. But, ugh. Still so that, good. like, little yellow version. <laughs> it's fine. So we first see her, um, and they pan to her, and she is reading aloud from one of her drafts. And she's talking about her crackling fireplace and the beautiful view of her garden from the kitchen window. And she talks about the fantastic meal that she's making for her wonderful husband and how her eight-month-old son sits happily in his high chair, which is not how I assume children are. But we don't have them, so we don't have that issue. We do have one of those things, though. What? A beautiful view. Oh, hey! She doesn't have any of those things. We have a beautiful view. (laughs) 
<laughs> that we pay money for every month. Yeah. So this and yeah, the son's supposed to be like watching her cook while they all like have a happy little life. And then as she's reading, the camera pans around and you see her like clanging radiator in her shitty little apartment. And it's like in the middle of the city. She just has a brick wall as a view and stuff like that. And she's munching on canned sardines, which is probably about as much as she can cook, which isn't cooked. Uh, she's fabulous, and I fucking love her. She well, why is her actually beans? a disaster. What? Ew. Oh, yeah, no, I don't know. At least I have a can of tuna. That's more normal. <laughs> well, I guess I don't know what this is. going to say 1945? It's like, uh, I guess that. That's fine. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> she is actually an absolute disaster in the kitchen. She is unmarried. She has no kitchen. There's no farm. There's no anything. Uh, she does have a friend named Felix who runs a restaurant nearby and he cooks a lot of her meals and he, uh, the recipes that she is getting famous on are all of his recipes. And he kind of thinks of her as a daughter and has a blast making all of these fantastic new dishes and helping her with her secret life. Which I'm like, yeah, I can get that. (laughs) You get like, oh, everybody (coughs) thinks that these dishes are amazing. So you get the pat on the back from yourself, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to deal with anybody. And also you get to wait and watch this blow up. That's true. Um, so later that morning, Elizabeth's editor, editor calls her with the bad news. Turns out her publisher, Yardley, received the nurse's letter, and he's like, you have to host uh, Jeff for Christmas. Why don't they go? No. They know she doesn't have any of this, and this would break the illusion. They don't know. Oh. That's the issue. Her editor knows. Her publisher. Well, why wouldn't her editor go... No, she's not going to do that. Well, she's not going to write for you. Yeah. Plot device. I was going to say, there's many plot holes. Okay, so. But also, some of those plot holes could be time involved because we don't know. (laughs) That's true. Like, yeah. And also, like, a lot of it has to do with her being, like, actually a career woman at a time where most women weren't actually working. Um, Which is pretty baller. Fair. So he is in on her secret. So he's like, um, we're both going to lose our jobs when they find out that we've both been lying to this guy, (laughs) which is going to be super, super great because this is, we've been doing relatively well with this. You can't tell that from Elizabeth's apartment, but I mean, I'm sure where are they? Where is she? What city? I literally don't think that they tell you. It probably is in some part of New York. I don't know. Cities are expensive. Yes, they are. And they don't have good views. No. Mm-hmm. You have to live outside of the city for your confusion. Just enough. Hit, you hit, can hit. see the city. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's Vegas. Yes. And it's sparkly. It's so sparkly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they decide that Elizabeth should go to see uh, Yardley. So we've got Elizabeth. We've got Yardley, who is the top head dog dude. Okay. And then we've got Dudley who is her editor who's in on her secret. Elizabeth is, he's like, go see Yardley and tell him your baby has whooping cough so that you can't fucking do this. <laughs> this is fine. He's sick. We can't host this guy who just got out of being starved alive and probably with a bunch of sharks. Who cares? I don't know. Uh, and then Yardley is like, well, it'll be fine. It's not a big deal. I'm going to completely dismiss all of your concerns because that's the type of man that I am. They should have found some guy to pretend to be her husband to go and be like, no. 
he would have instantly dropped it. Wait just a second. Oh, I'm going to get real mad through this whole thing, aren't I? You're just ahead <laughs> of the curve, but so close. <laughs> and so as she is uh, expounding, as Yardley's like, oh my god, the holidays are going to be so wonderful for Jeff. He's like, you know what? I'm going to also come and it's going to be so beautiful and I'm really excited to actually eat your cooking, which I've never eaten, even though you've written for me for however many years. Mm-hmm. He's going to also visit her non-existent farm for Christmas. Nothing like a bunch of people that's inviting themselves over for Christmas, right? Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, hmm, like, this is already welcome. a stressful time for the time of year. It's Spendy, fine. don't you have family? Mm-hmm. I don't remember if Yardley has family, but if he does, he just brings them. But I don't think he does. I'm pretty sure he's just, you know, an alone. Creamy old man. I was going to say an older man who has a lot of money because he owns this and he just has nothing else. So fuck you, I guess. <laughs> so that evening, uh, Dudley and Elizabeth, and she also has this annoying suitor. Convenient. His name is John, uh, and they're all at Felix's restaurant. And she's like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what, what am I gonna do? do? My livelihood. Everyone's gonna know I'm a big fucking liar who can't cook, and I've been lying about all these things. And then they won't hire me anymore. Blah blah blah." And John is like, hey, maybe when you lose your job, if you want to, like, get married, that'd be cool. And she's like, ew. You're gross. Yeah, basically. (laughs) He's been kind of proposing to her for a while, uh, and she always finds a reason to say no. And the reason is she doesn't like him, but she finds more polite reasons than that. Fuck politeness. Yeah, for real. You say no, I don't fucking want to do this. No, and then headbutt him. Yes, in the Mm -hmm. dick. Yeah. Anyhow, so he tries again because he's like, well, you know, if you were married, then you would be married and you wouldn't be lying. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I still can't cook and I still don't have a kid and I still don't have a farm in Connecticut. One thing at a time. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take care of these things. But yes. (laughs) She's like, oh, I guess maybe. She should just say her baby died of whooping cough. I'm pretty sure that would make them stop him from coming over. So it turns out if you have two good liars, you could have actually done this. But unfortunately, they have no good liars for this. (laughs) Your baby doesn't have whooping cough. Your baby has died from Uh, whooping cough. He had whooping coughing. Now he's dead. We really don't want to celebrate the holidays. I really were not celebrating the holidays. I'm not feeling very cheery. If you show up, I might kill you. Her editor would just be like, you have to lie about your baby for the ratings. Literally. I mean... Which, like... I feel like there'd be a lot of sympathy with Dead Baby. Bummer? I don't know. Dead Baby Bummer? I feel like there'd be a lot of sympathy for a housewife good at cooking whose baby died of whooping cough. Probably. Stop poking fucking plot holes, you goddamn poophead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go. Absolutely not sorry. (laughs) The least sorry face I've ever seen. He's like all psyched again because she's like, ugh, I guess I'm fine. This is the only option that I can think of to make any of this work. Um, and he's like, yay, blah, blah, blah. And starts talking up all of his plans, which are like, we'll get married in the next day or so. And then we can honeymoon at my farm in Connecticut. Because very convenient that Shut he has a fucking farm like, in Connecticut. Bing. Oh, you know, 
that would really work. So we could pretend that we've been married for a while. We're living on this farm. Try to get through Christmas. I don't lose my job. And uh, basically their plan is get quick married so that they can tell the rest of the lie. If it was me, we'd just lie the entire time because I don't care if you're... You're not going to look up my fucking marriage license. That's weird. That would be weird. Yeah. He, the... um, John... Still thinks that after this whole thing goes down, after they get married and she pretends to be married to him for a while and living there, blah, 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 um, that she's going to give up her job and, like, be a housewife. And she's like, oh, yeah, definitely. And it's like, "Um, man, I don't know if you noticed, but literally the entire plot of this movie is keeping our jobs. (laughs) The reason she's doing this is to keep her job. Yeah. If she wasn't worried about keeping her job, she wouldn't be doing this. I'm sorry, but Barbara Stanwyck doesn't roll over for any like little bitch like you. But sure, whatever, man, that's fine. Please give me your farm. <laughs> I need that. So John brings out a judge really quick. And then also, conveniently, he found a baby that they can borrow and pretend is theirs. His housekeeper has been taking care of baby while the mother works. So she's housekeeping and babysitting at the same time. Life as a poor person in the past. And in the current. And now. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so they have a baby that they can borrow for a little bit. Convenient. Whew. Yeah. Uh, so the judge is just about to start the wedding, and then Slaybells herald Jeff's early arrival. So you hear some Slaybells, and they're like, oh, I guess we can't get married because I have to go greet him. Oops, my bad. But we're still going to pretend we're married, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And he's like, but I'm just going to keep this guy around just in case. You still want to get married to me, right? Yeah, of course. After. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for the farm yeah. and this and weird baby that I don't know that neither of us know. <laughs> okay. It's fine. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I so can only imagine her just being like, as she holds the baby. It's <laughs> so good. Because that's Ugh. exactly how both of us would be. That's uh, why I smells. love this so much is because she's exactly as much of a nightmare as you and I would. <laughs> Like, I'm happy to describe food to you until I literally die. But if I actually have to make the food, you can do, okay? I'm going to fucking curl up in a ball and die. And also if I... You made turkey. That's true. I can make a turkey. So if you want turkey for the rest of your life, you're good to go. Also, take out. (laughs) Other than that, she will burn your Pop-Tarts. Hey! I like my Pop-Tarts a little burnt because I burn them all the time. (laughs) I've grown to like them. <laughs> Help. Uh, but yeah, so the judge, they like shove the judge out of, into the parlor and they're like, hey, just out of sight, out of mind. We'll get this done at some point. Tonight. Don't starve. Mm-hmm. Uh, eat food if you want. <laughs> um, and then he, uh, she goes to go greet her guest and it turns out he's, he's pretty fucking cute and she's like hot and stylish and like has the best Fucking goddamn old-timey voice. So hot. So they're both immediately smitten. Which, you know, is fine if you're single and is not super fine if you're married with a baby and not Polly. He was the the vet, right? Is that who yes. shows up? Okay. Mm-hmm. Making sure I know what's yes. happening. So Jeff the vet, the veteran, not veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, he, he does like animals, so it's all okay. good. Um, but shows up and is like, oh, hmm. Shrug. Um, yeah. And he is 
hyped as fuck. He's also been bedridden for a while. Uh, so he has read all of her articles and knows her fake life better than she does. Do you think after writing it for as many years as she has, she would know her fake life? I think it's like specific details where he's like, wait, didn't you just talk about this in like three articles ago? And she's like, (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny. I don't remember. And I didn't do any studying for this because I thought I could wing it. And I've never been able to weigh anything in my entire life. That's why they made hot glue, Martha. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a hot glue goddess, and I am a not-anything-else goddess. Disaster goddess? Hot glue disaster goddess. Oh my god, that's my new... That's on my next business card. Ooh. Yes. (laughs) It's on my now Twitter. But yeah, so... (laughs) For example, uh, when the baby starts to cry and Elizabeth picks it up and is like, it must be time for something. (laughs) She's like, I genuinely have no fucking idea what what I'm supposed to do. And he's like, oh, I think it's time for the baby's bath. And he asks if he... A bath? Out of everything the baby could be crying for, he's worried about the bath? I know, right? It's an excuse for hot dad energy and I'm here for it. So, but yeah, so she's he's like, it must be time for the baby's bath, which whatever. I don't I don't know how babies work, so it's not my deal. Babies don't cry over needing to be bathed. No. I know that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so she tries to kind of do what she's doing with her son, and turns out actually her son is a girl. Oh no! <laughs> she's like, oh, um. Um, and then Jeff is like, here, it's fine. I'll help. I used to help with my sister's kids, so I know what to do. And she's like, (sighs) except it's a girl. Hmm? And if they're bathing it, he would know it wasn't a boy. Oh no. Like he knows how to bathe the baby, but he's also like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, if it was you or me, we could have immediately lied and said, oh, boys get better ratings. But Barbara Stanwyck is struggling here. And I understand you have a like soapy hot dude in front of you who's showing that he can provide for himself and also other people and also a baby that you don't want yeah and like sometimes that's weird and you don't know what to do with that. This is Martha speaking from personal experience with I, her weird hot dad thing that she has. Literally, I don't have this, so I don't really know. <laughs> I get it, Elizabeth. Hot dad energy is a strong thing. It's written in the next fucking life. I don't know. It's not my thing. But yeah, so she's like, I have no idea what to do, but I am very attracted to the fact that you know what you're fucking doing. Yeah, it's fine. I get that. The movie takes a lot of time to, like, every time that John and Jeff are both in the, like, frame, you can see, they compare them as much as they can. John is boring as fuck. He's an architect, and all he ever does is talk about architecture, and that's the only thing that he tends to have any, like, thing to talk about. So He's super annoying too. And you know, also he's a pushy dickhead, which if that oh, like if you were gonna say pussy dickhead. I mean six of one, half dozen <laughs> the other. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Don't push. Man in the nineteen forties. Man in two thousand twenty. Say man, period. <laughs> uh that evening, Elizabeth 
introduces Felix, who is her cook friend, who's kind of like her dad, as her uncle. And uh, John keeps trying to steal her away so that they can get married by the judge. And it keeps failing over and over and over again. Um, and I think the judge Felix. is like... I'm fucking out of here. I need to leave. I have, I have my own shit family to do. to do. It is the day before Christmas Eve. If you guys can chill, that would be so great. And yeah, and Felix is in the background too, and he secretly sees the chemistry between uh, Jeff and Elizabeth, and he's like, I ship it. I'm going to do everything I can to completely ruin this fake marriage that's not happening. Beautiful. I love it. But yeah, okay. So now it is Christmas Eve, and after the dinner that uh, Elizabeth puts the finishing touches on, that's with some very strong air quotes because Felix did it, and she was... I think she locked all the doors to the kitchen? I think she probably put one sprig of time on things at the end and was like, I did it! <laughs> she glad no one walked mm-hmm. into the kitchen to be like, "Can you? do you need any help? And she's like, mm, I'm letting... Uncle Felix. Felix is already helping me. I'm teaching Felix how to cook Uncle right Felix now. Felix is actually. already helping me. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, but please leave. Which is what she should have said in the very, very beginning. But then she wouldn't have met him, so blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Love, blah, blah, blah. Gross. So it's Christmas Eve. John and Yardley go off to a room to play, like, fucking dominoes because they're goons. And Yardley is like, you know what would be really good for my magazine? If you and Elizabeth had another baby. Your first kid boosted the circulation so much, and that would be awesome. And uh, John's like... (coughs) Oh, okay, yeah, we'll go on that. It's fine. The judge also returns late that evening because I guess he has nothing better to do on Christmas Eve. Apparently he doesn't have a family. Yeah. Mm. It's a lot of non-families in here. That's kind of sad. I mean, I guess war. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. That's probably right. Um, but yeah, so they're supposed to like try and secretly marry again. And then um, it turns out that there are people in the kitchen, so they can't do it. Yardley and Jeff are both like, oh, we wanted a midnight snack. So now we can't have a midnight <laughs> wedding. And then... Don't they have a whole farm? Why would they do it in the kitchen? So part of it is... I want to ride in on a pig on my wedding. One, f- And you should be able to do that. And then we'll have that pig devour a person who sucks. Because if that like isn't it. a good omen for a marriage, I right. don't know what is. Right? Mm-hmm. I like this. Yeah. So, yeah. Wedding is postponed again. It's fine. Elizabeth and Jeff are flirting a little bit more and more. Um, they go off <laughs> and, like, when Yardley and John are off doing their own thing, they'll be, like, chatting and you know, she's entertaining him. She's like, I'm doing my job. Nope. Isn't it midnight? Go to bed. And so the next day, which is, I guess, Christmas Day, but I didn't write that in here. <laughs> uh, we have a different baby. First baby's mother uh, didn't have work that day, so it turns out that there's another mother that brings her baby to get babysat, which wouldn't be a problem normally, except for we had a baby the first day and now we have a different baby and this one is a boy with very different coloring and he's a little older. Oh. Yeah, it's an issue. Uh yeah. They and like they try to make breakfast and, and they get the black and white movie. 
I keep getting lost. This is the worst. It's okay. I keep interrupting. It's fine. Everything about this is ridiculous. It is absolutely fucking ridiculous. It is the OG rom-com, and that's why it's so good. You have a different baby. Probably somebody's going to notice. Also, Yardley has been like, you talked so much about pancakes in all of your columns, and they sound so good, and I would really love to watch you make pancakes. So if you could, like... That'd be cool. And uh, Felix is trying to <laughs> teach Elizabeth how to flip pancakes, and she is an actual disaster at everything she does except for writing. Sure they're bubbly enough. And don't throw them too hard. No, it's just sort of like a flip. Yeah. Yes. I don't even eat pancakes. Me neither. And I, we both are aware of that. <laughs> and uh, as we just make waffles, said, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's much easier. And they taste better. Way better. Awful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the day goes on, and there's various forces that uh, keep sending the judge into hiding or back home. Most of the time, it is Felix, who is actively conspiring to make this not happen. And John is... This judge needs to just give up the ghost. It's Christmas. Yeah. And yeah, so John is frustrated, and Elizabeth is having a great time with Jeff, but yeah, so Felix has also been sabotaging her, like, supposed marriage to John because he knows that she doesn't like him. And she's like, sweet, nice. We're both on the same side. That's the best. So that evening, which is Christmas evening, they go, there's a big dance in town and there's a large banner that uh, reminds everybody to buy war bonds, just in case you forgot that everything mm-hmm. is the worst right now. Yep. Right. <laughs> Elizabeth and Jeff dance the evening away while John discusses architecture with literally any person who will fucking listen to him because he's boring as shit. Yardley keeps being like, okay, well, maybe we could do like a column since you can ride your wife's coattails because she's doing really well. And then it's like a husband and wife column, blah, blah, blah. Ugh, it's boring. Oh, so he's like trying to buy himself a column in yeah. Architect yeah. USA today. Exactly. It's like, this is smart housekeeping. So if you could fuck off, that'd be so great. Cool. Um, also, while they're talking, Yardley like stops paying attention and looks over at Jeff and Elizabeth and is like, it's weird how friendly they are. And he's like a little bit upset, but mostly because he really wants Elizabeth to have another baby so that he can boost circulation. She's like, I will have another baby, just not with my fake husband. Yeah. And also, uh, Elizabeth Lane, what makes babies, adulterer and divorcee is a lot less commercial than Elizabeth Lane. Perfect wife and mother. Especially in the 40s. I was going to say, nowadays, not so much. You should go either way. If you can be a strong you... entrepreneur after a divorce, then you're fine. But that's 19, that this is 2020. This is mm-hmm. not 1945. They go um, to, like, have a good time at the end of the night. And Yardley, like, chases after them to see what's going on. And they end up stealing a sleigh. <laughs> and going on, like, a nice romantic ride where they basically declare their feelings for each other. Um, But yeah, so before they can like kiss or anything like that, the police come and are like, "Uh, did you steal this sleigh? And they're like, "Uh." Um, and so they get to spend the night in jail. (laughs) I'm sure she could have been like, do you know who I am? I don't know if she has quite that clutch. I bet she does over some... In a small town? Probably. Especially since she's supposed to live in that town. 
So it's she just says that she's in Connecticut. Yeah, but you know how everybody's probably like, she's in Connecticut like me oh too. Oh my god, we live in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, I guess it depends on how many cops are reading smart, smart housekeeping. I was going to say how many cops are married. How many cops can read. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Which should be none, none, and none. None, none, and none. Turns out, <laughs> hey. So they get to spend the night in jail, and Yardley goes back to the house, and he watches the mother pick up her baby and leave. And he's like, "Oh, cool. That baby just got fucking kidnapped." I'm <laughs> calling the fucking cops. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Our good friend John does nothing here because he's a fucking dick. That's just the nanny. Literally. That's all you have to say. We we know. She's been taking care of them the whole time. Yeah. Come on. John, you fucking nerd. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's only an architect. It's true. God. Oof. The worst. Um, But yeah. Don't be an architect. Yeah. Be something more interesting. (laughs) But yeah, so. Like build roller coasters, but I think you need to be sort of an engineer for that too. Yes. Be an architectural engineer. Maybe just be somebody who plays Roller Coaster Tycoon. Um, So Elizabeth and Jeff get home the next morning and like there's police all over the place and like the FBI or something like that. And she's like, um, and Yardley's like, she's hysterical. Don't listen to her. And she's like, no, hold on. So everything gets chilled out because both moms drop off their babies before work and are like, oh, well, uh. Now you have to listen to what the actual truth is and the fact that neither of these babies are kidnapped, neither of them is actually mine, and I've been lying to you this entire time. Uh, but also, nobody needs to go to jail. Also, why are these people spending nights here? Coming over for Christmas dinner is one thing. Why are you staying at my house for multiple days? This is a question that I don't Please have an wait. answer for. So, Yardley fires Elizabeth on the stop spot. On the top. <laughs> None of that works. None of that works. Help. Oh, no. Uh, and calls off the kidnapping alert. And Elizabeth is like, well, I'm bummed that I lost my job, but at least I have Jeff. That's nice. We'll figure out our own way. It's not like I don't have a good resume. Blah, blah, blah. You should go your own way. Go your own way. <laughs> but, yeah, so... She she breaks up with John because she's like, yay, now I don't have to pretend to like you anymore. Go away. I hate you. And then the nurse who was trying to date Jeff before ends up showing up because we're going to throw another spin in at the of very course. end. This Does is... she end up with John? No. Oh. Usually um, that's what happens. That would... <laughs> it would work. Um, Just saying that's typical. <laughs> yes. So Elizabeth is like, oh no, he's going to be with her. I'm very sad, blah, blah, blah. And Jeff doesn't want to like break off his arrangement with the nurse, even though he has fallen in love with Elizabeth. So, it's been two days. Calm down, Jeff. Everybody calm the fuck down. But also, like, you didn't like this first nurse literally at all. You Jeff. just wanted good steak from her. Which, I mean... As a person who would absolutely flirt... Flirt? flirt. I would flirt and flirt. I would fart for some good yeah. steak. If I could fart on the spot for a steak and somebody was like, do it and I will give it to you, absolutely. I don't think I have that power within me. 
I think I would just poop my pants. <laughs> <laughs> so that stupid thing happens, and Elizabeth okay. is like, oh no, I guess I'll go back home to my sad little place. And not have a job. And not have a job, and also uh, not have my cute boyfriend that I thought I was going to get from this. Um, but literally, like, two seconds after she leaves, Mary Lee is like, um, so bad news. I didn't really want to, like, break your heart or anything, Jeff, but I fell in love with somebody else, so I just came here to be, like... She couldn't have said that two seconds earlier. Just put it in a telegram, bitch. Just why? No, why'd you go there? Uh, Pick up a phone. Do they have those numbers? Merry Christmas. It turns out I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> Even though we were never together. Well, it turns out romantic entanglements in the past are really fucking complicated. Good lord. Because no one talked about I anything ever. I they haven't ever. changed. Just talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah. Mary Lee, the nurse, just came to Connecticut to tell Jeff the bad news. Uh, and then Felix, who was there to watch and see her quote-unquote bad news, is like, okay, we gotta fix literally all of this shit and all of you people are completely incompetent so i guess i guess i'll do it i have to do all of the cooking and now i have to do all of the work it's fine um but yeah so first he tells yardley that uh elizabeth has actually already already gotten a new job at a rival magazine he's like i've got the telegram that i checked this morning and it so they do a telegram so why didn't this bitch nurse just send a fucking telegram I don't know. (laughs) 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 Different directions, both kind of the same. (laughs) So yeah, he basically is like, okay, I just got a telegram that offered her a new position at a different place and it doubled her salary. Um, Really, the telegram (laughs) just says shit about meat from his meat supplier but he doesn't let him see that so he's sneaky and Yardley is an idiot so he falls for it and he's like I don't want to lose my popular columnist to a rival so uh, he finds Elizabeth and begs for her to come back and offers her a huge raise and she's like "Mm, I don't really want to continue to be pretending to be America's best cook and literally I don't remember if she ends up taking her job back or not so let's just say she takes the job back, but she's paid way more and she gets to write whatever the fuck she wants because I can't remember it, but I'm assuming that's how it goes. Uh, and then Felix finds Jeff and tells him the truth about Elizabeth, that she is single, childless, and in love with him. And so Jeff goes after her, but he doesn't tell Elizabeth that she, he knows that she's single. So he goes to kiss her and she's like, um, don't you still think I'm married? And he's like, I don't, I don't care that you're a married woman, even though I know that you're not a married woman. I don't care either way because I'm in love with you. Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, also, my nurse married my buddy, so everything is great. Yay. Uh, she falls into his arms and they have a lovely kiss. And that is the end. Um, and then also, they have sex, but that's off scene. Yes. Screen. There's a great blooper of the the scene where she falls on him where they're about to kiss. And instead of being like, hmm, swooning, she's like, oh, Christ, will you get your legs where they're supposed to be? <laughs> God. I love you so fucking much. Mm-hmm. Also, in 1944, uh, she earned $400,000 and was the uh, nation's highest paid woman. So, But yeah, so that is Christmas in Connecticut. It is the OG rom-com. It is all of the like ridiculous tropes. Almost, but pretty close. Yeah. 
Not all of them. There's still five dollars for you, people. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we want to eat sushi, so that's that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. That is our Christmas episode. Everyone, stay safe. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah already started and I think gone. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know when Hanukkah is. Yeah, but um, happy. But happy the holidays. There. It's there. I hope everybody has a good season, mm-hmm. Christmas or holiday season. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Let's try to be out of this by the time it gets warm again. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right? All right. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. All on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It was an Apple I ruined it for everyone. <laughs> you ruined Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify. We are also on the ESO Network and on Podbean. All right, everyone. We will see you next Tuesday. Right, Christmas. Christmas. The person who has to edit that out, Kevin, I'm so sorry. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.